This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Cyber Democracy. It has become clear without the internet the world would not have been able to be under lockdown because of the coronavirus and carry out any work from home. Internet providers are working round the clock to ensure the bandwidth requirements of people's browsing patterns are met with everyone spending more time on the internet during the lockdown. Internet had already become a essential requirement before the countrywide lockdown because of coronavirus. It is an essential requirement for any commerce activity. and shutting it down had wide implications to people's right to free expression and access to information during these uncertain times it is important to understand how internet shutdowns have spread in india and why it is important to acknowledge them in this episode pratik wakri from the policy think tank takshashila institution will tell us about the anatomy of internet shutdowns this podcast is in association with internet freedom foundation check out their work on digital rights and protecting internet users at internetfreedom.in welcome to cyber democracy pratik so you worked a lot on internet shutdowns and you have been continuously researching on internet shutdowns in india and india seems to be the leading in terms of the number of internet shutdowns in the world like we are thankfully number 1 in this or rather one could say unfortunately how widely are these internet shutdowns spread out within india we know that it's it's high in the world but how geographically distributed are these or are these internet shutdowns focused in a particular site or in a particular districts or in particular states can you let us know more about how these internet shutdowns have spread within india in a lot of conversations i have people tend to think that it's mainly a jammu and kashmir problem right yeah and while it is true that most of the shutdowns have happened uh, in jammu and kashmir you know dating all the way back from 2012 a documented instances of uh, internet shutdown and i say documented resources have gathered them based on what was reported in the media or what was available through rtis uh, not every instance has necessarily been documented right uh, but the documented instances we've had since 2012 we've had about approximately 380 of them uh, 180 of these have, have happened in jammu and kashmir so that means 200 instances have happened in the rest of the country right uh, and just to throw some some numbers at you right rajasthan has about has had about 68 up has had 29 gujarat maharashtra bihar each of them have had about 11 west bengal has had 10 uh, madhya pradesh with 7 going to the northeastern states meghalaya and manipur have about 6 arunachal has had 5 assam and nagaland each have had 3 tripura has had 5 as well should have come to that and punjab has had around four right so you you can see that it's scattered across the country and you would have noticed that right now it's mainly the the north northwest the northeast not so much in in the south right but even there karnataka has had one during the anti ca protest 
uh, Andhra Pradesh is listed as two, but uh, it's interesting because they've listed Hyderabad, they've counted Hyderabad as as a part of Andhra Pradesh and not necessarily Telangana. So Telangana is at zero, and Tamil Nadu had one during the Starlight protest. It's it's scattered all over the country, right? At at this stage. Because you said Andhra Pradesh included Hyderabad and Telangana is zero, I really want to know now one. how are internet shutdowns defined and are actually quantified because telangana actually did have two internet shutdowns in the district of adilabad once in 2018 during a tribal protest and once in 2019 because of the anti ca protest so i really want to know how the compilation of this data is happening because of the lack of authoritative data in this are we missing to count the number of internet shutdowns in india or what would an internet shutdown essentially be even classified as internet shutdowns are so there are different definitions right if if you look at the access now definition they quantify it as any intentional disruption of the internet or electronic communications which render them inaccessible or unusable uh, by state intervention for a specific population all right and mainly with the stated intent of uh, controlling information flows the interesting point is that they say disruption right i think the most authoritative source in india for uh, internet shutdown data is internet shutdown.in right which is a tracker that maintained by sflc they define blanket shutdown so they don't look at disruption so they wouldn't consider throttling a shutdown most of the time you are relying on news reports rtis and which is why i said these are the, these are documented shutdowns right it's not that these are the only shutdowns that have happened these are the ones that are known and widely documented i mean how did this internet shutdown as a policy has evolved in india i mean i think it started in 2015 if, if i'm not wrong but clearly the rules for the shutdowns came much later in 2017 do you know why this evolution of internet shutdowns has taken place as a policy reaction by the state or is it something that we have witnessed because some other countries have started to adopt it say because of the crisis in the middle east where middle eastern countries have started to adopt internet shutdowns post the regime changes in 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 the middle east the first documented instances go all the way back to 2012 right but from 2012 to 2015 they're only in jammu and kashmir but 2015 as you pointed out was the year that it started spreading to other parts of the country as well in gujarat you had instances in in meghalaya right uh, you had instances in haryana that's when it started spreading and now the other point that you mentioned about you know as a policy instrument it, it it's interesting the other aspect to look at is that uh, about 50% of the shutdowns that have been imposed in india have been proactive in nature which is even before an incident has taken place it's it's more of a proactive measure to control in misinformation and rumors and 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 that sort of thing right and and that essentially speaks mainly to a lack of state capacity to control or manage these kind of sensitive and tricky situations in terms of what rules have been used it's like you pointed out 2017 was when the temporary suspension of telecom services were notified right uh, again some of the criticism leveled on that is that it was not rolled out with any sort of public consultation section 144 has been extensively used as well which you know as as we know gives uh, local administration significant amount of discretionary power and for a while there was a situation where both the telecom suspension rules were being used and section 144 was being used 
there was no clarity on which set of rules are supposed to be the authoritative ones or the, or the ones that should be uh, should be implemented right uh, some of that changed with uh, the supreme court judgment on the indian anuradha singh case interesting aspect about uh, section 144 in 2015 it was challenged in the gujarat high court but it it was it was struck down some of these shutdowns were also used by the state as a reaction to protests and uh, that have happened in delhi for example during the anti ca riots and clearly you have shown us that it's not limited to kashmir and it's not a kashmir problem anymore and it's continuously extending to other cities and the national capital going through internet shutdown is something that need to be concerned with but in terms of how much internet was shut down within delhi i don't think it was shut down across the city it was shut down in specific parts how does that work a L- lot of that happens with it's essentially orders that are passed to telecom service providers and they they're told to to shut it down the operation around this are still evolving in different cities so at this point in cities they may not operate as smoothly but you can expect that over time they will get better they will get more consistent right because we've definitely been seeing a shift to using them uh, in urban areas as well it's in especially since 2019 until then a lot of them were restricted to protests and not necessarily considered urban centers but in 2019 starting with the ayodhya verdict was sort of a turning point you had internet shutdowns in places like jaipur meerut aligarh etc where until then you had not really seen blanket shutdowns being imposed right delhi as you pointed out during the anti ca protests uh, mangalore as well during the anti ca protests there is definitely this uh, expansion in terms of where it's being used as a policy instrument and it it just seems to be like the first thing in the state toolkit to do right when they feel that they're not going to be able to control information it seems like the go to instrument and that is certainly a matter of concern so yeah the state has found out that it can stop people's voices by shutting down the internet when they're criticizing the state or when they're very critical and dissenting about certain policy issues and i think this has been tested well by the government in kashmir kashmir being the state where every ordinary people actually has some opinion about policies especially the center's policies in their state and this has been long experimented at some level in kashmir but in terms of the violation of freedom of speech by shutting down internet has been long allowed by our courts and somehow it's been continuously even done now during this pandemic where kashmiris are not being allowed to access 4g and they are unable to still access the internet why do you think our courts are not reacting to this humanitarian crisis i mean these are exceptional scenarios right now on that note actually there was a positive development this yesterday right the foundation of media professionals made filed a petition for the restoration of uh, 4g in jammu and kashmir and the court had issued a notification notice to uh, the state to respond right which which means that pil is has sort of been accepted and there will be a hearing on it next week right but to the larger point of it being used in kashmir to suppress dissent that there's two ways to look at that we should also remember that kashmir is also uh, there is a significant armed force presence there 
it's hard to say whether it's just the fact that you've been able to curb connectivity and information flows that's that's responsible or is it the continuous presence of armed forces like sure there, there are instances of violence right but in terms of sustained pressure it's hard to say which of these is responsible uh, for that i know a lot of people who think it's the latter the other aspect is that there is research so Jan Rizak has done some research on this specifically in the context of protest movements and mass gatherings in India uh, and what he found was that for every consecutive day of an internet shutdown the chances of violence emerging in the protests actually increased until the fifth day after which they dissipated but his finding was that by that point a protest where there was a shutdown has already had more instances of violence than one where there wasn't any shutdown right so even as a policy instrument it's it's hard to really say how how effective uh, it is right in terms of actually suppressing voices you're giving people an incentive to actually step out uh, which which is what yan summed up in his in his research over time it's a policy that's bound to have a diminishing return right if, if you're when you're dealing with outright malicious actors as as the claim always is they will find ways around it they will you know do all their communication this everything beforehand right they they will a motivated bad actor is going to find their way around a communication blockade but who suffers is is the average or the ordinary citizen or maybe the ones who are not savvy enough to use things like mesh networking which is still very early days in india right? we haven't seen that being used as it was in in say in a place like hong kong what you're effectively doing is this enforcing uh collective punishment on on an entire region of people so we're clearly not gaining anything from internet shutdowns but actually losing a lot and the harms versus returns are something which needs more quantification or also research but i guess the state doesn't care about any of this they are pretty much in agreement that they need to use this as a policy instrument which brings to the question of the whole anuradha basin versus union of india case where there were some improvements i would say i mean i don't know if one should even call that because it did not result in anything tangible can you tell us what happened after the supreme court judgment in this matter in terms of the government giving say 2g only internet access and blocking out whitelisting websites there were a couple of takeaways from that judgment right the court in a sense reinforced the proportionality standard right people have often cited that you know this is effectively a form of collective punishment they asked for time bound and public orders which also until then was an issue right the orders had to be reviewed now even the 2017 rules had a provision that the orders should be reviewed but i think through an sflc rti in, in rajasthan it became apparent that most of these reviews were not really taking place right so the fact that the supreme court pushed for these reviews to happen in time bound public orders is certainly positive positive movement and it also sort of settled that uh, section 144 versus the telecom suspension rules debate going forward they'll have to be through or they should be issued through the telecom suspension rules some other aspects was that it didn't order a retrospective review or immediate restoration but they did ask for some sort of restoration of access right so so this happened on jan 10th and then on jan 14th you had the home department of jammu and kashmir coming out with essentially a white list of what started off as 153 websites then expanded to 300 300 odd and they kept revising this uh, every week or uh, every 7 8 days to 
I think it finally went up to about 1600 websites before it was suspended in uh, in February. Right now, the interesting thing about this whole whitelist experiment was that it seemed odd for on what basis it was decided that hey, these are the 150 websites you can access, right? So uh, Rohini Lakshane and I did some some research on that. We did a usability testing until that list was 330 and it was manageable to, to look at, right? We did uh, usability testing and basically tried to access those websites and see how they would work for an actual end user uh, who's, who's trying to use them. We found that, notice the number of, number of strange things, right? Uh, for example, there were a lot of banking websites that were there, but banking websites as most people who've used one noticed that your home page is different from your actual retail banking page right what we found was that of the 14 banking websites that were listed only 12 of them use different login and different retail banking sites none of them were on on the whitelist so it was effectively unusable there were a lot of duplicate entries in that whitelist you know initially there were just some government services some were included some were not included it was extremely strange to see the type of the operation that seemed to have gone in behind it, right? Again, we don't know on what basis these websites were selected, why some were included, why some were not included, right? Why certain e-commerce services were selected, certain were, were excluded from the whitelist. The entire process seems, uh, seems extremely arbitrary. You know, we actually found that of the websites that we had, we had tested, 301 at, the, at that time, uh, 58 of them were actually usable. Uh, 68 were only partially usable, and about 144 were just not usable at all. And we had to exclude a whole bunch because there was incorrect information, there were duplicates, etc. Right? So you can see that even with this attempt, right, most of the websites were just not usable. And bear in mind that we had excluded the network connectivity speeds for the purpose of this uh, of this analysis, right? If if you bring in the fact that you have to access them over throttled connections that only work on two G speeds, that makes it even more even more concerning. And you know this whole entire whitelist was essentially an outcome of Anuradha Basin case. But at least what's happening now is we're getting periodic revisions of the orders, and they're having to upload. You know the Home Department is uploading it on their website. It gives you some sense of the thinking that's going on behind there but even then the process still remains largely opaque so in some ways uh, this is an actual violation of net neutrality principles which india said would follow again the try is not questioning any of these violations i guess it can't question or doesn't want to question the state but when it comes to the whole judgment and the reaction by the central government of restricting access to the whole internet and limiting access to a certain key websites only. It's very clear that this form of censorship can continue elsewhere as well, because we see the governments across India through its powers has been restricting certain domains. It could be pirated content, it could be porn, or it could be any other form of censorship. But most of this is, again, unknown why a certain website is blocked by the government. Does treating access to internet as a right help in undoing this? For example, UN recognizes internet as a right. Even the Kerala High Court has actually passed a judgment which says internet is a right. 
but in the context of the anuradha basen case the supreme court actually refrained from defining access to internet as a right they did not go into it because that was not the challenge that people posed to the court as the judges described it but do you think demanding the internet be made as a right would help in this context that the government can't pass around its face the precedent for that is already there with the kerala high court judgment that you mentioned it has defined as the right to access as, as a fundamental right it's a negative right in the sense that you cannot force the state to give you internet access but the state should not be taking it away there is certainly room to make that argument right but as we've seen right and this is where i, I will admit I'm, i'm a little conflicted that you can have that in paper but how that translates into reality is still uh is still going to be a big question mark right and just to give you an example going back to the kashmir situation was that in the subsequent orders they mentioned uh that you know social media websites will continue to remain blocked use of vpns are illegal in fact they use the term that vpns are being used by anti national element there seems to be no legal basis on which they can say that vpns are illegal or vpns should be should be blocked even so you had you had reports of people being stopped and their phones being checked and then you know then being subjected to violence if vpns were found installed on the phone right so what happens in in law books and what happens in the ground may not necessarily always coincide right? and i think that's that's where my personal conflict on the matter comes from when it comes to implementing most of these internet shutdowns uh, it's only possible because of the telecom firms and their contract with try like when a telecom firm actually gets the rights to spectrum usage for telecom part of the contract they the telecom firms are required to listen to whatever laws of the country are right but at the same time um, we have seen that most of these orders are arbitrary in nature they do not follow clear procedures there is no appeal process do you think any resistance or a push back from the telecom firms is possible considering some of them are losing revenue during internet shutdowns as well like we've seen that with airtel in kashmir for example uh and do you think there could be a demand from the business sector itself because of the loss of revenue that they are sustaining and clearly a shutdown of internet would actually mean shutdown of economic activity at a larger land uh, do you think they can at least push for transparency in this matter looking at the current state of the industry right you have only three main players in the market two of which are not financially in, in very good health i think the appetite for taking on the government is going to be uh, severely low on something on an issue like this the cost of uh, standing up to the government is much higher than the cost of compliance on this issue so i i don't expect them to see i don't expect to see any of the telecom companies really pushing back on this in the short term uh, certainly i just want to go back to one point that you made in about uh, try and net neutrality it's an important point Uh, Rohini and I, and also as part of the analysis that we had done, we had submitted a set of questions to the Ministry of Home Affairs. One of which was CRAI basically consulted on uh, potential net neutrality violations. Right, we yet to get a formal answer from them, but I suspect 
that you know like you said tra are going to just stay, stay out of this are there any scopes for reforms i mean clearly with this pandemic everything's going online i mean there is an increasing realization nothing will work if the internet's not working you see uh, internet service providers classified as essential services with special passes to walk around to ensure that everybody has 24 hours connectivity do you think the parliamentary committee on it for example could look into this matter at a greater length do you see any scope for reforms the parliamentary it committee actually looks into this matter in february they had selected the impact of internet shutdowns as a subject of interest rohini and i submitted our analysis to them but to my knowledge because of the you know the suffering that happened in parliament since then i don't know if they have actually started looking into it yet but there is some optimism in the fact that they are looking at it what comes out of it i think uh, is probably going to be a longer term battle right and and i think it it's important for for people to try and make representations to the parliamentary committee for them to understand the the scope of uh, this problem and and the impact there is right uh, there have been some reports that have tried to gauge the economic impact of an internet shutdown right so brookings in 2016 had done a report where uh they estimated that the impact to the indian economy was about 986 million dollars then the indian council for research on international economic relations they did a research finding five years from 2012 to 2017 uh where they said that india faced approximately 16000 hours of uh, internet disruption and that translated as per their analysis to around 3 billion dollars uh of impact to the economy right so there is some study going on in this i think some of this needs to be updated we need to continue looking at the impact of this right on the human cost something like this imposes and we need to keep pushing for it on that note uh, i hope that the supreme court actually relooks into this problem with the recent hearing that's upcoming and hopefully we do see if internet shutdowns are reduced and are used only as a severe scenarios when it's extremely necessary and do not become a common policy practice but one of the grave concerns that i had maybe you can share your opinion may not even happen is that whatever the indian government has been experimenting in kashmir in terms of whitelisting the problems of that coming to india or across india of essentially a chinese internet wall kind of scenario a firewall scenario where the state is able to control everything or anything that you access looks like a possibility at this stage with what the, what whatever's happening in kashmir what do you think about that do you think we no no and, and i think that, that that's a very interesting question it's something i've, I've thought about a lot as well right and i did work on this is trying to deliver content into china in, in a previous life uh, so i have seen some of the same conversations that were happening in china back in 2014 2015 sort of happening in in india as well specifically on the white list right and it, it's not just china so even iran recently booted the idea of a white list for you know government websites right so as part of their digital fortress project they sort of mooted that that idea as well 
I do agree with what, to some extent, with what you said that what we've seen happen in Jammu and Kashmir slowly percolates its way to uh, to the rest of the country as well. I don't want to fear monger, but I think it's something that we have to stay alert for and counter at at uh, at every possible step that we we shouldn't have head uh, the way of a you know great firewall. Just going back to the human cost that that we were talking about and. You know, I spoke about some of the the economic reports that have come out, but what I've been doing in the last few days as well is trying to relook at whether we need to count internet shutdowns differently. With the way of counting just instances of internet shutdowns, a 48-hour internet shutdown in Mangalore is counted as one, and a 213-day internet shutdown in Jammu and Kashmir is counted as as one, right? And I think something like that is is fairly reductive. It does not look at the human cost of that, right? So what what I was trying to do was try to estimate, just taking that example, uh, to see, hey, how many hours of uninterrupted internet access have people been deprived of? So you take 213 days, uh, you look at the fact that the population is approximately 12 million people, you look at mobile penetration rates, which is around 30%, uh, and you look at the fact that Indians use tend to use mobile internet for about two and a half to, to three hours a day, right? So I, I just did a very simple calculation based on that. And it seems to show me that over this 213-day period, people have lost 2.3 billion hours of internet access. That's about 2,60,000 calendar years. Now, I know these numbers, these numbers seem big, but I just wanted to try and contextualize some of the human cost of uh, these, these measures as well. Thank you for listening to the episode of Cyber Democracy. You can listen to this podcast on sonoindia.in or any other podcast app of your choice. As independent producers, we rely on you, our listeners, to support us. So please visit the support page on our website sonoindia.in and contribute generously. 